Greetings and good morning to all of you. It's uh, always a wonderful thing to be here. Time usually runs short when we can interact and fellowship with each of you. Um, but we do appreciate, um, and our family is grateful always to be here, as we have a lot of family close friends, but also brothers and sisters in Christ, of which we are called to fellowship one with another with, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So we're grateful, we're grateful to be here. This, uh, this past week, probably like all of you, um, we've experienced a very interesting year, to say the least. Um, and, and aside from, from all of the, the virus pandemic stuff, uh, when we just look at society, we consider economics, when we look at the political structure, not, not only in, in United States, also in Canada, but then also in Israel and other places, there's a lot that's going on. And one is to acknowledge that there is hatred in the world, and also understandably that this is something that is according to Scripture, my mind and the Spirit convicted me, what does the church look like right now? The church that's called to be sons and daughters of God, the church that's called to be brothers and sisters in Christ, what does the church look like? And so the Spirit led me uh, to 1 John chapter 3, and I'd like to read several verses of this scripture. So I ask that you turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. And just as Brother Ben prayed, it's also my prayer that these words over the next little while comes from the Spirit and the Spirit alone. 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 11 to verse 18. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we've passed from death unto life, Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. Back in the 2nd century, approximately 117 A.D., there was a man 
who was a Greek author, and his name was Aristides. Some may call him Aristides. He converted to Christianity. And during this time of a lot of maybe enlightenment for the people, a lot of Greek philosophy and and even Jewish tradition that was still carrying on, he wrote an apology. And he wrote an apology to the emperor at the time. I believe it was Hadrian. And he was in power between 117, 116 to 138, 140 A.D. And he wrote an apology. An apology, for those that may not know, it's a defense, actually. It's some sort of defense, apologia in the Greek, that was given because of something that was accused against them. And so he wrote this apology to Emperor Hadrian to basically defend himself and his beliefs. He converted to Christianity from his Greek understanding and philosophies. The Lord worked in him and he converted and so he wrote his apology and he described three factors. He, he, he talked about the pagan worship and he broke that up. I believe it was into the Babylonians or the Egyptians um, and, and the Greek way of thinking and the others. And he talked about how that was false. He then also talked about um, Judaism and he talked about the works of the law and how they believed in this coming one and the Messiah and yet they didn't believe in Yeshua, in, in the great deliverer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so then he goes on and he speaks about Christianity. And he speaks about the fulfillment of the law. He speaks about the work of the love of the Father to his people who were in sin and yet how he loved them. Now they were called, excuse me, were called to love one another. And during this time, it was the second century, and the world, not the church, but the world around, there was a known saying. Behold, how they love one another. When the people around looked at the church, when they looked at the body of Christ, they saw love one for another. And this made them different. It was attractable. It was something that people wanted. And it was known to the masses at large. Behold, how they love one another. And when I read this, the question came to my mind, can the world say that about the church today? Can the world look at the body of Christ that we are reminded of, as Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, there's one Lord, one faith, one body, one baptism, and one Lord and Father of all. Can the world say, behold, how they love one another? Or do they see see the same characteristics in themselves in the church? 1 John is a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful writing. John also wrote the Gospel of John and also the Revelation of Jesus Christ that is found at the end of our Bible. He wrote to the people in Asia Minor who were suffering persecution at the time, first century Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, and they were experiencing great opposition. There was great difficulty that was being experienced by the body of Christ. And so John beautifully starts out and he says, that which is from the beginning in 1 John 1, and he said, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and hands have handled the word of life. 
He's telling the people who are there. He's speaking of this relationship that he has with none other than Jesus Christ. And he's experienced this. He supped with Jesus. He ate fish with Jesus and bread. He laid next to him. He experienced the working and saw the miraculous works of Jesus. And also the fulfillment of the entire law. And he's telling the people, he said, I have a relationship. In fact, it's a first-hand relationship. You can trust me. And he says, that which we've seen and heard from the beginning. And he speaks about um, the word of God that was manifested. And he's seen it. And he talks about this fellowship. This common union, communion, that we experience, brothers and sisters, with Jesus. John experienced this. And he's sharing that truly our fellowships with the Father and with the Son. And he's saying, these things we write unto you. Why? So that your joy is full. You can experience this as well as I have, he says. And he goes on. And he shares about the message that they've heard from him. And that message, what is it? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He talks about how we have, the church has this relationship with the Father. But we also have a relationship one with another. We have the relationship with the heavenly, with the spiritual, that we cannot see with our physical eyes. But brother and sister, we are called to have that experience and allow it be shown through our visible works and our actions. Our faith is going to be shown by our works. And so he goes on and he says, if we have um, the fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And so now we see this, this working here on earth, one with another, and how, we, and how we work with other people, how we interact with other people, and what we are showing the world. So we see this two relationship, this relationship with the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, and we see this relationship one with another, you and me. John, John goes on, and he talks about confessing sins. He speaks about um, that you sin not. So now, again, he's going into the physical realm. He's saying, don't sin. If you have light, if you have love, if you have the Father in you, you will walk in truth, because he is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And then he reminds us of who Jesus the righteous is in chapter 2. The propitiation or the appeasement, the full satisfaction for sin. He's saying, if you have him, you will walk in him. And you will show others what this means. The working of the body. In verse 5 of chapter 2, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily, and this is the first time we hear about it in First John, is the love of God perfected, who keeps his word. And yes, the message this morning is about loving the brotherhood. And what that means. So he speaks about this love being perfected. And then he keeps moving on in verse 9. He says, you say you're in light, but you hate your brother. You're in darkness. That's impossible. It cannot happen. But then he talks about the world. The works of the flesh. He goes, I write unto you in verse 12 of chapter 2, little children, because your sins are forgiven. And he says in verse 15, love not the world. So he tells us what we are called to love. And he says what we are not to love. Again, this relationship that we have one with another. And how the Lord is working through us here in this world. Just to keep going on, because we're only doing a recap here. 
Again, he speaks about watching out for the Antichrist, those who oppose the Father and the Son are Antichrist. And he goes on in chapter 2 about that. But then in chapter 3, and we picked up from verse 11 in chapter 3, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, on you and me, Behold, what manner of love hath the Father bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. We are called the sons of God because of the love the Father has shown us. So before we can even get into what it means to love the brotherhood, you and me, brother and sister, how we are called to do this, it's our duty. What is the love of God? What is the love of God? If we jump ahead to 1 John chapter 4, he says the following in verse 7. Behold, or sorry, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, or has procreated from God, regenerated from God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now the problem, and I'm no English major, that's for sure, but what I do know is that at least in the English language, there are multiple definitions for a similar or for the same word. For instance, love. I love my grandmother very, very much. I also love steak a lot. And I like and love a dark black cup of coffee. Now, do I put my grandmother and stake on the same balance, and do they equal out? The obvious answer is no, they don't. I have a different love for my grandmother than I do for this, this taste that I have acquired or maybe that I, that I really enjoy and that gives me some sort of emotional... There's this, there's this attraction to it from my taste buds, and it makes me happy. But the, the love that I have for my grandmother of this, this storge in the Greek, this storge love, is not the same love of this flavor that I might like. And so we know that according at least to Greek translations of the word, we know that love is broken down at least into four major categories. And I'm sure we all know this very, very well, but let's just do a little bit of a recap. The filial love. This brotherly love that we have. I love my brothers very much. And I'm sure siblings, we love our siblings very much. And we can't maybe explain what this love is. And do we get mad at our siblings? Well, obviously we do. And we have disagreements and arguments at times. But we know that we're still family and we love them very much. And we'll do anything for them. And we have this filial love. We also hear of this eros or eros love. And this is more of this sexual attraction or this erotic love. We also have this storge, this family love, as I would love my grandmother. And then we come down to agape love. This agape love that's mentioned over 260 or 270 times in the New Testament. A love that is unconditional and it takes action. A love that is the purest form of love, of what we can comprehend as love. A love that is noble. And it's, it's exercised by our will over our emotion. And it's actually awakened by a sense of value in an object. 
So when we see something, this agape, and I'm going to call it agape, is going to be awakened because of the sense of worth in that object, in that individual. It's a sacrificial love. It voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and even death without no payment in return. And so when we read the scriptures, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is agape. This is who God is. If we go back to John 15 and we see the words of Jesus because the word made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. This is the word made flesh. This is Jesus Christ. In John 15 verse 13, he says, Greater agape hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And he shares with the people this great agape love that there is no stronger, no uh, much more agape that anyone can give than a man sacrifice himself, goes through discomfort, hardship, and even death for the sake of another with no payment in return. This is agape. And according to scripture, this is who God is. If we read... In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and I'm sure we have this verse memorized, some of us. But God commendeth his agape toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This sacrificial love, this unconditional love. When we even think about the fruit of the Spirit and we read love, agape is a part, is the first fruit of the, the fruit, that, 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 that total fruit of the Spirit. And we read that nothing can separate us from the agape that is in God, this unconditional love. This is who God is. And he reminds us and he says, and Paul says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this if you will, is the prequel to loving the brotherhood. If we don't understand what love is, how can we show that love to the brotherhood? And so God is love. It is unconditional. It is sacrificial. It is who he is. For some reason last week, because right away our minds go and we try to relate somehow into the physical realm of this love, of what this love look like, looks like, and it's impossible But bear with me for a moment if I share with you my thoughts that I had through this week. For some reason, my mind kept going back to this vision. And this vision was myself standing on the shoreline with an ocean in front of me. Somehow, there was sunshine and clear skies behind me. But before me, there was dark dreariness, no wind. The ocean was still. And there was a huge fog haze that was set upon the waters. And here is this dark gray ship in front of me with alien people, people who I have no idea who they are. And there they have my son in chains. And I have no way of getting to him. And and I apologize for my emotions, but I just ask that you think about that for your own children. Think about your firstborn son or daughter. 
in that same position and you cannot get to them. What will you do to try to get to your son or your daughter? You would go through anything and everything to get back your son or your daughter into your arms. And with that feeling, what does that, what does that produce in you? What kind of works is that producing in you to go and to search out your son or daughter? And here we read in the scriptures in Romans 5, in verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are God's handiwork. We are his children. We are his people, his creation, who are marred by sin. Yes, dead in tra- uh, sins and tra- uh, trespasses. And here he is calling, and he's trying to reach out to us. And what does he do? He offers his son, his firstborn son, Think of that, if we can, and, and this is, times that by infinity, it doesn't even comprehend, but yet we have this sense of this sacrificial, unconditional love for our child, that we would do anything to get. This is the love of God that he's showing to us, to you and to me, and to those who are unregenerated. He has shown this by Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Apostle Paul reminds us of this. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. This is the love of God. This is what his love might look like. And we know what it looks like by the working of Jesus Christ and his uh, his humility and his submission to the Father. But you know, it doesn't stop there. And far too often, if we even consider the works of the Reformation, we look at Martin Luther's uh, thesis and we consider the points that were made, we can understand and experience this great love of the Father to the people and to the sinner. Yes, we can experience that. And by grace, we are saved through faith. But one thing that theologians point out, where does the second part come in? Where does the second greatest commandment come in? Where is loving our brother and sister come in? Interestingly enough, if we look at Anabaptist heritage, we see they took on this of what the second century people have saw through even Aristides and his, his apology. Behold, what manner of love they have one for another. Not just how much the Father loves them, but they now are working and producing that life in them. So, Getting back to the main text of what we were reading in 1 John chapter 3. So the precedent work is what is love, and God is agape, his word says. But we can't stop there. We must continue now to see how are we living in that. Remember, we are sons and daughters of the highest, of Jehovah God. How are we living that? Let's consider Matthew Chapter 22, when the lawyer went up to him in in verse 36, he says, Matthew, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, thou shalt agape the Lord thy God. And this is verb tense. Agape the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment. Shema Israel. This is the Shema of Israel. Yes, this is of the law itself. The blessing of Jehovah. But he doesn't stop there. He says, this is the great first and great commandment. And second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
And so we even know another example. The lawyer says, who's his neighbor? And he gives the example of the Samaritan, of which is a half-breed of, 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 of Israel. But one thing we need to remember is, Jesus gave two parts of the law here. He gave the Shema, but he also gave in Leviticus, I think it was 19, he gave that we are called to love our neighbor, just as the children of Israel were called to love their neighbor. But neighbor is bondman. It's fellow brother or sister. If we look all the way back into the Hebrew, where the law came from, Jesus even said this, if we think about Sermon on the Mount, and we go to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5. And what did he say? He says, you know of old, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, because that's in the law. Of course, yes. He fulfilled the law, though, and he said, you don't hate your enemy, you love your enemy. And so we, we have two groups of people. We have neighbor, and we have enemy. But we are called to agape both of those. That's the fulfillment of what Jesus did. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So number one, this loving the brethren is not an option. We don't get to choose if we love our brothers and sisters. It was commanded by Jesus himself. John chapter 13. A new commandment in verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, speaking before Peter's denial. He says that you agape one another, sacrificial, unconditional, with nothing in return. You are to love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Remember when we went back and we considered for a moment the love of God is greater far than anything we can comprehend? Brother and sister, we have that love within us. Agape is in us. And we are called to live that out to our brother and sister. Jesus commanded that. And it's not even just a commandment. It's a matter of fact. If we have agape in us, we will live agape in us. Hence the reason why the world is separate that we read about from the believers. Because they don't have agape. There is no sacrificial, unconditional love of the Father if they don't have the Father. They must have the Father to exhibit agape love. And that's why the world hates us. It detests us. It is opposed to us because we have the sacrificial love of the Father. It is who he is. So number one, it's commanded by Jesus. We're also reminded if we consider the scriptures of Apostle Paul. And we look in Romans 13. What does he tell us? In verse 8 he says, Owe no man anything but to agape one another. For he, this is what we owe to our brother and sister, is to agape them. For he that agape another, what? Fulfilled the law. The fulfillment is in none other but to love your neighbor as yourself. We're reminded about this in Galatians chapter 6, I believe it also is, or 5. To love one another is the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus showed us that. Again, The works of the body are being manifest. We're seeing this fulfillment through Jesus Christ and none other. And number three. We go back to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So here's another way to put it. 
If we don't love our brother and sister, we're living in death. If we don't love our brother and sister, we have eternal death upon us. John is very clear. Death, darkness, separation from life. It was already quoted in John 14. I, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He had agape because the word was made flesh. And if we have Jesus, we also have agape and we are sharing that with one another. But if we don't, John says we are living and abiding in death. This is very, very serious. Whosoever hateth his brother to detest or to love less his brother is a murderer. There's only two times this Greek word is used in the New Testament scriptures. Here in 1 John 3 and in John chapter 8. When Jesus went to the Pharisees and he said, you are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a manslayer from the beginning. Why? Because there was no agape in him. It is the complete opposition. And so if we hate, if we love less, if there is no love to our brother and to our sister, John says we are a murderer that is likened unto the devil, the father of lies. I would say this takes high priority in the Christian life. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Number one, it was commanded by Jesus. Number two, it's the fulfillment of the law to love your brother and your sister. And number three, it's a spiritual litmus test of our salvation. What does that love of the brotherhood look like? And so lastly, I want to talk a little bit about that. And I'm sure there's many other examples in the scriptures. I'm sure there's many other things we could talk about and we could look at in the word of God to show how this love, if we try to apply this now, this unconditional sacrificial love, what's this look like now to us? How do I show that to my brother or to my sister? In Philippians chapter 2, we know this also very, very well. Apostle Paul reminds the people and he says, in verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, humiliation of, of, of the mind, to bring ourselves down to such a littleness that we are nothing and that our brother and sister is everything. They come and take priority in our lives. Just as we took a priority in God the Father sending his son because he agaped us. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not on every man his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And so, how are we showing this submission? How do we submit one to another? How are we acknowledging one another? Are we listening? When a brother has a problem, do we come beside them and just listen? Do we, do we take it? And you know what? I believe like right now our minds are probably going, you know what? If that brother and sister would just listen to this sermon and if they would just submit to me and listen to what I have to say, things would be much easier. Maybe. But what about if we took the other side of that coin? Are we able now to submit? Am I able now to submit to what my brother has to say? Whether they be weak or strong, as Apostle Paul says in Romans 15. Do we submit one to another? And you know, this is even going back to 1 John 3. 
I want to read that when he says in verse 16, this is how we know the love. These, this application, this is how we know the law. How do we know that we're submitting? Um, how do we know that we're doing these things that are going to be mentioned? He says, hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to also lay down our lives for the brethren. We're to set our lives aside. We're to put horizontal our lives and not vertical, not us first, but our brother and sister first. This is how the love is to be perceived and to be shown. So number one, submission. Are we submitting? Both sides are we submitting. Bearing the affirmities. Number two, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says the following. Wherefore, so he's speaking about watching and being sober, but he says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Edify one another. And what does edification mean? This word edification actually means to construct a house. To build a house. Build the house together with one another. We are a building. We are a temple. The temple of the living God. Of who Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And we are to edify one another and build up this house. With agape. And it needs to be shown. So he says, comfort yourselves together and edify, build up this house, construct one another, even as also ye do. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says the following, but exhort, call, call people, comfort them, speak to them. You know, when, even setting aside this time since March and everything that took place, when was the last time we just sat down and, I should finish the verse, but exhort one another daily. We're supposed to be doing this daily. Comforting one another. Encouraging one another. Hey, brother, you know, um, how are you doing with this? What's going on? I want to pray for you. We're the body. We are one. We need to do this. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We are to exhort, we're to build up and construct the house. we got to build. We need to encourage. Number three. I'm only going to read one verse for this, because this one is very easy to understand, but yet hard to follow. And we need to admit that. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 14, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. To send away. Forgive means to depart. Never to return again. To distance oneself. To disregard it. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If I don't forgive somebody, if I don't forgive a brother and sister, the Father's not forgiving me, and I don't have eternal life abiding in me. It's pretty self-explanatory. Are we forgiving one another? Can we honestly say that that situation that we're thinking about right now, have you forgiven that brother or sister? Number four. We need to restore. We need to bring back. I've I've heard before, we need to love the brethren. And if they're going through sin, leave them alone. You know, we love them, we care, we can pray for them. That's not what Scripture says. 
in James chapter 5. And just for a little bit of a recap in James, he's speaking to the believer. In James chapter 1, he says, My brethren, he's speaking to those who are of the household of God through Jesus Christ. He's speaking about believers, brothers and sisters. And in James 5 verses 19 and 20, he says the following, Brethren, if any of you do err, cause to go astray, to wander from the path of righteousness. If any of you err, if I err from the truth, and one convert him, to return back, to bring back to where they once were, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide or cover, atone a multitude of sins. If we, out of love, Galatians, I believe it's chapter 6, verse 1, speaking about bearing each other's burdens, but also he which is spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of meekness. Because we're part of the body. We don't want ones to go astray to the left and to the right. Because we know spiritual damnation awaits. Do we have the love of the brethren to go up to somebody in the spirit of meekness and call out a sin, not based on my interpretation, my opinion, and what I think, based on the word of God? Can I do that? God is love. He is agape. He's unconditional, sacrificial love. A love that expects nothing in return. He calls us to share that love with the brotherhood. In fact, Jesus balanced these two commandments. He said the greatest commandment, and he said one is like unto it, and he said, out of these two hang all the law and the prophets. We are commanded by Jesus to love one another. Apostle Paul reminded us, loving our brother and sister is the fulfillment of the law. It's a spiritual litmus test of our salvation. Application. We heard this morning of four ways. Submitting one to another in the fear of God. Encouraging. Uplifting. Giving an ear. Listening. Calling. Praying for one another. Forgiving. We know if we don't forgive, our Heavenly Father sure doesn't forgive us. And restoring, pulling out of the fire. When we go back to the second century, when we consider Aristides' work and his apology, and when we consider what the people said, what the masses said, can we say that about us today? Does the world look at us The world, those who have not experienced agape love, they've not experienced an unconditional sacrificial love expecting nothing in return. Can they say to us, behold, how they love one another. Amen.